I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives. Today, we are talking about the power of music to stay sober and to treat and heal addictions. My guest today is Tim Ringold, a board-certified music therapist and author of Sonic Recovery, Harness the Power of Music to Stay Sober. In addition to his practice, Tim is an award-winning international speaker, columnist, podcast host, and former regional president of the American Music Therapy Association. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Tim. Thanks for having me, Mindy. It's great to be here. Well, Tim, you bring to the table not only your clinical experience and expertise, but a recovery journey of your own. Can you share a little bit of your story with us? It's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... Gosh, there's a you know there's a lot to share there. So let me think about how to keep it concise. Let's just say that uh, it, you know addiction is not theory for me. I've struggled uh, with substances and behaviors. Going back to college is where I really can point to you know uh, medicating and managing emotional regulation with alcohol and uh, with sex and with video games. And I, I t- the story I don't tell very often is that Wing Commander 2, Revenge of the Kill Wraithy video game got me on academic probation and mm-hmm. Sega Genesis Golf got me kicked out of college. Really? Because I liked the me in the game better than the me in reality. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I just spent more and more time there because I could achieve a level of success and control inside the video games where my real life was spiraling out of control. So I had a knee injury. I was a very accomplished rugby player and had played internationally and was considering a career internationally, had been scouted, had played in Europe, had a knee injury and didn't know how to deal with that. My parents were going through a breakup, didn't know how to deal with that. My girlfriend graduated, my band broke up and this all happened over the same summer. And so I just didn't know how to deal with all of the chaos that life can throw your way. Cause some of us like a certain amount of uncertainty, (laughs) but, uh, that was too much uncertainty for me. So, uh, you know, Tony Robbins talks about the six human needs and two of them or, or four of them live in opposition of each other. And two of them are humans have a need for certainty, but humans also have a need for uncertainty. And each human has like a different ratio of that. And so I spiraled into this massive chaos of uncertainty and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, So I reached for anything that would calm my nervous system down, give me a sense of control, a sense of ability to predict. And that was, that was my first journey. And then I recognized I had a problem with alcohol and I I actually withdrew from college, came home and uh, quit drinking cold turkey as I picked up the bong and uh, and the pipe and started smoking weed mm. chronically. But I was so proud of myself, Mindy, because I had quit drinking cold turkey. I had turned a corner and then, you know, I'm filling my lungs uh, later that evening, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it, in, in terms of the different behaviors, like it's it really the, the behaviors and the substances that people reach for when they are struggling with physical, emotional, social, or spiritual pain are really not important. Mm-hmm. 
because it's just their nervous system's way of trying to self-regulate. And their nervous system has a little bit of, we'll use the phrase muscle memory, even though that's not accurate, but people understand what that means. Right. Uh, and it remembers what works in the moment. It remembers what relieves them. And so mm -hmm. it's a fascinating journey for a human being to be stressed and for their brain to start sending them signals to do things that cognitively and intellectually they know are a terrible idea. And they've mm -hmm. done them before and they've you know ran right into a wall, right? And yet for some reason their brain keeps telling them to do it again over and over. And that's because, you know, the part of the brain that sends that craving signal is very primitive. And I didn't understand any of that, you know, when I was 22. Mm -hmm. So I uh really, you know, struggled all along the way and then found my way in the world of professional music as a recording artist in the genre of super like heavy industrial metal. And mm -hmm. so uh, think back to the late 90s, like Ozfest, the Osbournes, uh, that era of music. And my band was an up and coming band and I was right in the thick of it. And so they say sex, drugs, and rock and roll in that order for a reason it's not a coincidence. It's a lifestyle. And, uh, and I realized that that had become the norm for me. And, uh, and I didn't have like any sense of control. It was like kryptonite. It was like, I could do so many things in my life where I could say no to one thing or say no to another, but in these very specific areas, uh, I couldn't say no. I just had this feeling of powerlessness. Like I had no, suddenly I had no spine mm -hmm. and I, I would engage in behaviors that I was not enjoying while I was engaging in them, wasn't happy and still couldn't not do it. And it was the strangest phenomenon because there were so many other places in my life where I could just say, no, I don't feel like doing that. And then I wouldn't have a second thought. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know how to articulate much of that uh, until I found my way into a 12-step meeting for sex addiction in February of 2003. It took like, I don't know, like nine more years of really struggling uh, with all these different behaviors before Finally, I walked into a 12-step meeting and I heard other guys articulate these weird like cognitive dissonances that they were experiencing. And I'd never heard anyone else talk about it with that detail. And I, I was like, thank God, I'm finally, I'm not alone. And there's language for this and there's a way out. Mm. And, and that's what started me on my own personal recovery journey. Uh, and then I found myself in uh, school for music therapy the following year, because what happens to many people when they get in recovery, they kind of put their life back together. So decided to go back to school, but it wasn't for another five years before I found myself in my internship. And now as a music therapy intern, I'm working in an addiction treatment center and I'm now getting to see how I can point music at addiction and help people find a new way to relieve the stress that their nervous system is under that isn't going to cause them shame, guilt, regret in the future. Wow. There is so much in what you just said to unpack. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that you alluded to is that we, when we hear the term stay sober or get sober, 
we tend to automatically jump to drugs and alcohol. Those are not the only substances that are addictive. There's also behaviors that are addictive. There's other substances, food, technology. Absolutely. You mentioned sex. So there's gambling, there's money, you know, there, there's different things that people reach for. Work. And yeah. 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 The other thing that was just running through my mind as you were talking, there are a couple things that I read in your book that just really hit me. And I thought, wow, that is really profound. And you alluded to these in what you were just saying. But one of the things that you said in your book is, you said music and addiction seem to walk hand in hand throughout the human experience, whether intentional or not, both are effective at relieving varying levels of pain or stress in the moment. In fact, both can activate the same reward system in the brain responsible for pleasure and motivation. There are many things a person who is beginning a journey of recovery hopes for. Among these different wishes are hope for pleasure and hope for reconnection. And then this next sentence just hit me between the eyes. You said, addiction provides the first at the expense of the second. Hmm. Music provides both. And I'm just going to repeat that because it just seems so profound to me. People hope for pleasure and reconnection. Addiction provides the first at the expense of the second. Music provides both. And you mentioned that when you're playing those video games, you liked who you were in the video game more than who you were in reality. And that just makes me think of that reconnection. Can you just talk to us a little bit more about that reconnection piece? Because I think everybody understands what pleasure is and the hope for pleasure. But flush out just briefly a little bit more of what you mean by the hope for reconnection. Yeah. You know, if you are listening to this right now and you grew up in the United States, the United States has has a culture of self-determinism and individualism. Oh yeah. However, that being said, human beings are social pack animals. I mean, we dress up real nice, but we still are animals and we live in groups and we're designed from cradle to grave to co-operate in groups. We are not like bears that reach maturity and then go off as truly in living an independent individual life. That's not the human design. So what happens in a culture of individualism is if you begin to believe this idea that you're self-sufficient, it's easy to suddenly find yourself feeling separate from or other than. And that's deeply distressing to a human being existentially. Because existentially, we come out of the womb dependent on each other for, I think it's, you know, by the numbers, like the longest ratio of lifespan in the mammal kingdom, like we're the most dependent for the longest period of time. And so we are used to having a sense of connection physical, it starts out physically, we are physically connected to our moms. Uh, And then it's touch, that physical connection of touch, super important, right? And then it's emotional connection, and it's social connection. And then as we begin to consider this idea that there might be something that actually like a common thread that's non-physical that connects us, that's this concept of being spiritual. And when you disconnect any of those, it's like taking the air out of one of your tires. You just don't move as well through time and space because you're really designed as this four-part being and you really need 
those connection points. And so what happens is when people feel that disconnection, they might, they'll feel discomfort and even pain, whether it's physical, emotional, social, or spiritual. And then when we feel pain, our nervous system wants to numb that or self-soothe, whatever that is. And so then we trigger this self-soothing response. Now, babies do that, right? Babies automatically self-soothe. That's how they regulate the nervous system. So the human being's nervous system is designed to self-soothe. And so we reach out into the environment around us for things that help us to self-soothe. Uh, but sometimes the things that work in the moment cause more problems down the road. And so when we disconnect and then we feel that pain and then we numb out for whatever reason, and then we feel more pain because of the damage that was done either to ourselves or to our loved ones or to inanimate objects around us, it creates this like feedback loop or this vicious cycle. And that feeling of disconnection really is really a, a rough experience for humans. So recovery is an act of reconnecting. It's, it's, it's entering back into the shared experience of being human because being mm -hmm. human is a shared experience that we are, again, social animals. We do this together. So one of the great things about the 12 steps, they're all written in plural. And that's not a coincidence. We. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. We, we our, us, all okay. the language of the 12 steps is a, it's a recovery is a we thing. It's a shared thing. It's a reconnection to other human beings. It's a reconnection to, you know, parts of ourself that we, you know, really love and want to honor, uh, reconnection to some sort of relationship to something non-physical that gives us meaning and makes sense of the world. It's a deeply, you know, uh, ingrained thing, this, this idea of connection and that it's a, you know, like I say, just an existential human need on all four forefronts. Uh-huh. Well, one thing as you're talking that I'm thinking about is as awful as I'm sure it was to go through the cycle of addiction and then having to go through recovery that you did, the silver lining is I'm sure having to struggle through that yourself and suss it out and figure it out for yourself is what has made you so effective at helping other people. Because if, if it's not something that is a challenge for us or it's something that comes very intuitive to us, it can be hard to teach other people. I just relate this back to the music teaching mm. world because that's what I've been in. And growing up, I, well, I've always been a very visual person when it comes to reading music versus improv or playing by ear or for sure memorizing music and playing without that score in front of me. And I had a, a, an amazing piano teacher for a while who had perfect pitch and never really could understand why I had such a hard time memorizing music. And I realized afterward when I was a teacher and I was having to figure out for myself, okay, I've got to come up with some ways, some mechanisms for memorizing music and start doing more ear training and analyzing the music so that you're not just relying on kinesthetic memory, but you're using the analytical memory and visual memory and some of those other methods. I thought, you know what? That's why it was hard for him to teach this is because it was so easy for him. It was just like, what's there to get? Like, why don't you get it? Absolutely. And I just think about that with your practice. Like you've had to be in the trenches, digging yourself out, trying to figure it out. And that's, I'm sure what makes you so effective. But tell us, why is music 
such a powerful, efficient, effective tool for treating and healing addictions. Boy, there's like, how much time do we have? You know, <laughs> like, let me let me count the ways. You know, uh, there's there's a lot of ways in which music ticks a lot of boxes for being useful as a recovery yeah, tool. Yeah, we'll, we'll right? see so, if you can. So let's keep it see, high level, see if I can like, go through them kind of like your top three yeah. or top five or something and keep it high level. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. So uh, just from like a physiological side, uh, you know, music is the most complex stimulus in nature and it lights the brain up, uh, requires every subregion of the brain in order to process the musical signal. Uh, because music, as you know, is just a bunch of different elements that are put together that uh, the brain has to kind of simultaneously unpack, analyze, compare, put back together, and then make meaning out of in order to predict what's coming all in real time. So it's just really heavy lifting for the human brain. And when you are listening to music you enjoy or making music, the motivation and reward circuits of the brain light up uh, the same way as if we are having sex or eating chocolate, which is fascinating. Uh, and I'll mm -hmm. never forget Dr. Robert Zatori kind of... Um, asking, you know, at a conference, like, why do you suppose that is? And it's, why is it such a fundamental, why does it tick these very, very specific uh, signals uh, in the trigger these signals in the brain? And uh, so for me, it's always been, you know, music is social glue. If you look back through human history, music isn't, it's found in every known culture and every culture comes together and celebrates transitions, passings, uh, rituals, uh, milestones mm -hmm. through communal music. And mm -hmm. so it, it creates one out of many. So that feeling of oneness and connection as a human being, you feel that when you're like, you go to a drum circle, you don't have to say hi to anybody in the drum circle, but you feel totally connected to everybody in the drum circle because the music is this conduit of connection. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's deeply you know, satisfying. Uh, and it, that reflects in the brain. So it's not just psychologically, it's physiologically satisfying. Uh, and what's even more interesting is the louder you listen to music, the more dopamine your brain will release. So we actually prefer listening to loud music. It, it's a physiological response. Uh, and I think that's, that's very validating for a lot of people that there's a real thing going on with their brain's biochemistry that says yes to music. So uh, we know that it has this uh, immense reward capability physiologically. But more on a kind of a psychological side of it and, and psychosocial side of it, uh, the acronym the, or the word sober in my book is an acronym. And yeah. it really stands for what, what I've found uh, in the literature and in my own practice to be like the five most useful things music can do. And I used to use a lot of clinical terminology to describe them and no one would ever remember. So one day on a five-hour road trip, I was like, I need an acronym. Because <laughs> who doesn't love an acronym when they're trying to remember something? And so uh -huh. that's how this began. And so, you know, one of the things music allows or helps us do uh, when we make it is it helps us to stay present. And that's really important for the human brain because when you don't give the brain something to focus on, it wanders by design. When your brain idles, the default mode network takes over and you daydream past or future. Now, the challenge of it's a blessing and a curse. The challenge of the DMN is that you have no control over the past or the future. So if you ruminate in either of those states for a period of time, it becomes distressing for the brain because it knows at a certain level it's powerless over that. Hmm. Brain doesn't like to focus on situations where it has no power. It likes a sense of agency. 
Mm-hmm. It likes to know that it can do something in the situation. Now, the brain is also kind of the computer to the body. Now, the body is always present. The mind is not. So any activity that requires focused use of the body pulls the mind into the present in order to operate the body. And since music is time-based and it's happening in the present moment on unfolding like a linear painting, if you activate your body to match the music you're listening to or make music on your own, by default, your mind drops itself into the present moment. Mm -hmm. So it's an easy tool for staying present without having to yeah. think about staying present. It really has that regulatory effect. Say say more about that. Well, it regulates the brain if your brain is just sort of unconsciously wandering to the past yep. or in ruminating or thinking ahead, worrying about the future, and you feel like you can't really control those thoughts. Yep. Focusing on the music, even in such a basic way as playing the music, yep. and like you said, creating the music, making it, or just tapping to the beat really forces your your brain to be in the present. That's right. That's right. And so that's very helpful for people because the anxiety comes from trying to predict what's unpredictable, which is the future. And for a lot of people struggling with depression, what they're ruminating over is the past, which also they can't do anything about the events of the past. Now you can teach them to reframe the meaning and their interpretations of the past, but most people don't have that innate ability. They think about the events like, if I could just go back and redo them, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. So Mm. great tool for helping you to stay present. The O is for open up, which we might say is emotional expression, Uh, letting energy that's in motion in your body out of your body without having to formulate words to do so. Words are a great tool, but they're not the only tool. And sometimes they're the wrong tool because you need the right words. Otherwise, language becomes a toll booth of expression. And then you need the right listener. And you know, gosh, as therapists, therapists go through thousands of hours of training to not take things personally. (laughs) That's how hard it is for humans to not take things personally. So when you open up with words, it's really easy an unfortunate tragedy that the person you're opening up to is either going to get triggered, take it personally, start projecting, get offended, mm-hmm. uh, invalidate you, all kinds of stuff happens. And so uh, music allows us to let that energy out of our body without having to use words. Now, if you're somebody who's struggling with trauma, you can't use words anyway. The, the literature is very clear that it requires nonverbal experiential modalities to express, which just means squeeze out that energy out of your body. The issues are in our tissues. So music gives us a tool to open up with no words required. And then the third one would be uh, be creative. This is interesting in a recovery context because recovery itself is an act of creativity. Mm-hmm. You are creating a new lifestyle that doesn't include using. So uh, people forget their life itself is a medium. So your lifestyle is a medium. So how you organize your time, what you do with that time, how you live your life, how you treat your body, how you treat your friends, how you treat yourself, that's all creative in nature. Now, the big myth is that people think that like some people are creative and some people aren't. All people are creative. Mm. Now, being artistic is a whole other story. That's an application of creativity. It's very specific. But creative, its main function is it's a coping skill. It's how you solve problems. And the more you engage in music or creative hobbies, you build the part of your brain that's responsible for problem solving. And even more importantly, frustration tolerance. Mm -hmm. 
So you will mm-hmm. stick with tough situations and relationships and issues without changing the subject. <laughs> That's a key like coping skill for someone, anybody, but particularly somebody in recovery because recovery is a problem to solve. It's like, how am I mean, I have been using to get by and now I can't use. This is a problem to solve. So creativity helps them build that. It's like going to the emotional, like the, the, the gym for their mind. Hey friends, this is Dr. Garrett Hope. I am a speaker, coach, and composer. I am also host of the Portfolio Composer podcast and founder and executive director of the Ultimate Music Business Summit. The third annual Ultimate Music Business Summit is a three-day virtual conference that'll be held on January 5th, 6th, and 7th, 2023. This three-day virtual event features over two dozen speakers to help you build your music business. As a musician, you care about your art. You want to make a difference in your community and in the world. You want to pass your knowledge on to your students, and you want to do more than trade your time for money and just get by every month. UMBS is all about the one thing you didn't learn in music school, realizing that you are a business. It offers dozens of ways to build a career as an independent musician, including marketing, copywriting, studio development, mindset, money, and networking opportunities. Whether you're a composer, touring musician, studio teacher, recording artist, or professor, UMBS is for you. Get your ticket now at musicsummit.biz. E is for uh, escape stressors because when used correctly, music turns off the stress response. So we can turn off our nervous system in terms of what happens when we move from, let's just call it first gear to second gear, because there's there's really three gears in your autonomic nervous system. Your rest and digest gear would be, goes by many names. People have probably heard parasympathetic nervous system or ventral vagal state. And then you perceive a threat. You go into DEFCON 2, change gears. Now you're in the fight or flight response, which people may have heard is the sympathetic nervous system. And that system is great for outrunning tigers and fighting off tribes, but it's deeply detrimental physically to the body because you release a cocktail of chemicals that are very damaging to the human body. And you're not meant to be in that state chronically. So if you are, the brain issues a failsafe to calm you down, which is called a craving. A craving is your brain's way of trying to self-regulate. Most people never conceive of a craving in that context. But it it was Dr. Gabor Mate who I first heard say that, an amazing author and expert and uh, addiction doctor. And it blew my mind. And he's, listen, the, the, the nervous system needs to regulate. And if it's stuck on all the time, the brain's going to try to turn it off in whatever way it can. Mm. So music, when you're listening to the music you enjoy, or you're making music, it regulates your autonomic nervous system. It turns it from that fight or flight response back to your parasympathetic system. Now, here's the other thing that's really important about that. That's where your creativity lies. When you are switched on and you go into the sympathetic nervous system response, now you're in reactive mode. And you're, you're, you see the world in, through like two, black and white fight or flight. So everything looks like something to either fight or run from. 
So you lose your creativity when you're stressed. That's why you make your worst decisions when you're stressed and you send the worst texts, the worst emails, the worst voicemails. Like the eight minutes collectively of my life that I would like to hit the undo switch on the most, I guarantee you I was panicked or I was stressed in those moments. And I just Mm -hmm. made bad decisions because of the nervous system that was running the show in the moment. Mm -hmm. So for all of us, we want to be able to turn that off so that we have access to our creativity uh, and make our best decisions. And and then lastly, the R is for reconnect, which we kind of talked about early on uh, about, you know, recovery is reconnection. And and because music is non-judgmental, like I can turn on a song and that song doesn't care whether what I just thought or what I just felt or what I just said to somebody else or what I just did. It's non-judgmental. And humans need that kind of psychological safety to just be. And the problem is that humans hate being judged, but we judge everything. That's our nervous system always judges the external environment and makes meaning out of everything. So it's kind of this like catch 22. So music provides kind of a judgment-free space that we can reside in, at least to kind of calm down and feel connected to something outside of ourselves. Wow. I'm just going to go through that acronym again for listeners. So the word is sober, which is part of your uh, book title, Harness the Power of Music to Stay Sober. And sober, that acronym stands for S, stay present, O, open up, B, be creative, E, escape stressors, and R, reconnect. One of the other things that I read in your book that you've kind of alluded to in this conversation already. And I'm just, I'll just point out it, it It was, again, one of those things that just really impacted me and caught my attention. But you talk about how we often require relief before we can even think about trying to pursue pleasure or reconnection. We just want relief yeah, first. We yeah. kind of move from that pain to relief to pleasure. We try to self-soothe. The brain has sort of that muscle memory that yep. once it finds something that ex- brings an experience of soothing, it's like, oh, let's do that again. Totally. <laughs> but you talk about how we, we think of pain as physical pain, but it's not always physical pain. That's right. It could be, and, and you mentioned this in our conversation, emotional pain, social pain, spiritual pain. Yep. And as we we're talking about why music, why music is so effective, I was thinking, boy, music really engages us on a physical level, on an emotional level, a social level, and a spiritual level. Yeah. So it is one of those few things that, can really touch on all of those different playing fields and planes of our human existence. Yep. That, and that's one of the reasons that I say that it's efficient because mm-hmm. it ticks, you know, all four boxes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's really valuable, right? When you're looking for an investment in behavior and time and energy, which, you know, listening to music or making music is, uh, you want to get some return on that. And so mm-hmm. here's a tool that you know, fills all four tires of your vehicle. Hmm. So that's great. It's one of the reasons I play pickleball. That's my passion when I'm not making music is because it fills all four tires at the same time. So it's an incredible Hmm. return on, on my investment. And I think that, you know, music making is definitely, you know, when possible, you know, engage your body with the music you're already listening to, and you're going to tap into all four or all five of the benefits of the sober acronym. And so, you know, 
music become so even when you go from music go to music making like we are a culture of music listeners and that's great and there's tremendous value in music listening but if you want to take the next step now very important for a lot of people i'm not talking about music performing mm -hmm. that verb is not the verb i use so music making is simply engaging my body and making sound so if you can tap snap clap hum rap sing strum drum scratch even audiate which is just singing in your mind uh you're engaging your body in a way that's distinct from music listening and kicks mm -hmm. kicks the whole experience up another notch and I'll, I'll i'll share a quick story about that so i was driving in my car on the way to play pickleball on memorial day weekend which is the weekend my daughter who passed away was born and so i was already a little raw because holidays and birthdays are make you a little extra tender and sure enough i'm driving down the freeway and i see a billboard and it's a billboard for the hospital one of the hospitals that my daughter was in and within one second there's this you know structural or environmental trigger and now I'm in the past and I'm in a dark place and I'm like, oh, and I'm no longer present. And because driving doesn't take any, you know, focus on the freeway, we've all, well, I'm 50. So I've been at it a bit, right? So it's easy to daydream when you're driving. So I'm listening to some dance music and I was like, okay, I got to walk the walk here. So I'm going to figure out the dance beat. You know, there's always like a steady kick beat. So like my left foot starts doing the kick beat. And then with my hands on the wheel at 10 and two, I start to figure <laughs> out, right? Like there's always like that, tss, 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 like an off time uh -huh. syncopated hi-hat, right? So my right mm -hmm. index finger is now playing the hi-hat. And then when they want to add a little spice, they bring the snare in, right? So it's a spats, spats, spats. <laughs> Six seconds later, I have zero thoughts about my daughter. Because I'm just trying to figure out the drum line of the song that's playing in the radio. That wow. that six seconds earlier was in the background, mm -hmm. right? Music listening in the background, music making in the foreground. And now I'm present. Now, I wasn't performing for anybody. And if I didn't tell that story, no one would know what ever happened. But in that moment, I used music as a tool to stay present and it worked within seconds. And so music making, I just want to really encourage listeners, like you don't have to do it for anybody but you. It's just for you. It's a gift you give yourself. Wow. Love that. That's so powerful. That could almost be our coda right there. <laughs> I had half a thought as I was going into it. I was like, <laughs> looking at the clock, well, that might be a good coda. Right. Uh, well, I know you and I could talk about this forever if we both had the time, but I will keep things moving along. I just want to mention to listeners that, of course, I will have a ton of links in our show notes about ways where you can connect with Tim, connect with his work. He has a blog. He has a podcast. There will be a link, of course, to his book. One thing I noticed about the book is 100% of the proceeds of the book are being donated to the Genius Recovery Foundation. And we don't really have time to go into that, but I'll include the link to that organization awesome. in the show notes so people can discover more about that also. I do ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending. You brought up your daughter. Sure. Do you, and I know that was one of the stories you're considering telling. Is it possible yeah. to just give us a little quick synopsis of that story that you had oh, in mind about her? Absolutely. So uh, 
our daughter Bella was born in 2009 and passed away in 2010 from a rare fatal childhood disease called epidermolysis bullosa, or EB for short, which is a disease where your skin, well, your body <laughs> fails to produce one single protein. And that one protein happens to be the Velcro that holds your skin to your body. Mm. So that's random and it's rare. So when she was in the hospital, there were textbooks out on the tables in the NICU. Like none of the docs had seen it. They had to read up on it. Super rare, fatal in childhood. Uh, kids die from infection because all what happens is when your skin isn't connected, if you bump it or you rub it, it separates and it turns into blisters or eventually open wounds. Mm. So she's covered in wounds, covered in blisters, and you have to change the bandages that cover all these wounds that can oftentimes be way more than 50% of their body. And the parents are responsible for doing the work. So suddenly, mom and dad have to be trained in wound care. And they have to do wound care on their infant as if it's not their infant, right? You have to somehow get into a headspace where you're treating a human body clinically that you're observing and you're assessing and you're treating that's not your child. Uh, it's a very strange, bizarre thing. Now, if anyone listening has ever gotten water on a cut, you know how painful that is. Now imagine having saline poured across more than 50% of your body that's an open cut. It's an incredibly painful procedure for the person with the disease, and it's an incredibly stressful procedure for the family. And when we first found out about the disease and that that's what she had, we had read that. And I mean, I want to tell you, my blood ran cold. I was really, really, you know, like, oh boy, we're in over our head. Uh, but I was a music therapist, brand new, just had become board certified less than six months beforehand and had done my grand rounds presentations on NICU music therapy and uh, learned the power of music uh, with neonates. And what I can tell you is that every bandage change, when we had to change all of our bandages, it was about a three hour procedure and it started out every day. And then about a few months in, maybe a month in, we uh, had an expert come who said you could alternate and it could be every other day, which gave us like half our life back. Mm -hmm. And we had heard that those three hours were this Im immensely painful and stressful period, but we had a very different experience because of music, because the music, first of all, uh, Bella would listen to the music and music blocks the pain signal. The neonatal brain prefers a music signal over external sound signal. So it'll focus on that as early as 32 weeks gestational age. I was familiar with that research. So I knew, and she was a full-term infant, I knew that if we played lullaby music that she would find that soothing and that that would help her. But then it would, it would also calm down mommy and daddy. And calm parents mean calm kids because you got to remember, kids do as they see. So stressed parents make for stressed kids. Calm parents make for calm kids. So the best gift you can ever give your own kids is your ability to regulate your own emotions. And so managing your own emotions becomes a gift you give your kids. So a regulated nervous system of the parent becomes a regulated nervous system of the child. And that goes for anybody. So for us, our experience of bandage changes, whether we were listening to lullabies or baby Einstein, was absolute peace. Mm. And we used music every single time. And I had written 
a birth song for her that she was born to. And when she finally passed away, coincidentally, ha ha ha, God incidentally, I'll say, uh, when her heart rate went to zero, uh, her birth song happened to come on the iPod in her hospital room. And it was 45 minutes into the middle of a playlist. So I had the experience as not just as a music therapist, but as her daddy, I had the experience of getting to sing my daughter into life and then sing her into afterlife. And that's the gift that music gave my family. Wow. As a parent, this story touches me on so many levels. And since my conversation with Tim, a very close friend of my husband and mine was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So these conversations about the circle of life and death and our deep need to be connected as humans is hitting especially close to home for me right now. Thank you so much to Tim for sharing these powerful personal stories with us today and also for sharing his knowledge and instruction on how music can be a powerful source of hope and healing and reconnection in the recovery process. As you know, there are tons of links in the show notes, including a transcript of this episode and a handful of related episodes that you may enjoy. All Enhanced Life with Music episodes are evergreen, so be sure to check out the back catalog for more ways that music can make your life better. Access the show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. This is episode 143. A uh, link to the show notes page is also in the episode details right in your podcast app. You can always connect with me on email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, may your life be enhanced with music. <laughs>